Welcome to The Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. And indeed, welcome to The Sages Among Us on this Wednesday evening, May 11th. I'm Keith Porter, and I have a very interesting guest today. His name is Martin Webb, and it's hard to describe him because he's described in so many different ways, but I'm going to say he's a solar power entrepreneur, he's a climate activist, he's a writer, he's a radio host, and he is a longtime cannabis activist who worked with Nevada County officials on safely managing legalization of cannabis, and uh, he plays drums in a rock band. And I don't know, a lot of other stuff, too. Well, Martin, welcome to the hot seat on the Sages Among Us. Thanks for having me, Keith. It's, uh, it's a real honor. Well, I uh, know that you've been on uh, the mic on this radio station a number of times yourself, a lot of times. So this time you're across the table on mic two. You don't get mic one tonight. So uh, you're, you're in the hot seat. Yeah, it feels different. I, I'm usually the one asking the question, so I, I'm excited to see what it's like on this side. Well, there you go. Well, uh, let me share a little bit of background about you, and then we'll get into a lot more depth as we go here. I know you grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. You went through a period of addiction to heroin where you uh, had a, did some difficult life experiences, uh, slept in a cab that you drove in the city for a while. Then, as I understand it, I think your parents helped you with their maybe their, your, the last hope. Uh, they put you on a Greyhound bus and sent you to your last friend in the world in Nevada City, and you came here and turned your life around. Uh, got involved in the solar industry uh, as an employee, then an owner, then a consultant, and then did all those other things that I've been talking about, which we'll talk about here as we go. So uh, that's a that's an interesting story. Um, it, it was interesting to live. Yeah, it's interesting to listen to as you describe it. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to believe, but I'm I feel really blessed to have ended up in Nevada City, and it was really uh, you know it's one of those situations too where first you think that. What is uh, a horrible life-changing event um, can actually send you in, in a life-changing direction that you never thought of. Well, uh, you know that's that's a that's a redemption story of one sort or another, isn't it? And uh, it, it's wonderful that you've been able to be here and contribute as much as you have to our community, and uh, and you're still going strong. So let's see. Let's go back and talk about your background and uh, bring everybody up to date here. You were born in Washington, as I said. Your parents both worked for the federal government. You had an older sister who was a straight-A student, which, of course, is sometimes a formula for this next kid to be not maybe quite the same uh, motivation to perform. But tell us a bit more about your childhood, and you came to think of yourself as eccentric. Tell us why you used that word. Well, you know, my, my upbringing wasn't necessarily, you know, different or eccentric. It was quite vanilla. It was suburbs of Washington, D.C. and Arlington, Virginia, mom, dad, older sister, um, raised, you know, perfectly middle class and, and good opportunities. And what, what for me, though, initially was fun was I was treated differently at school um, by the teachers and, and faculty. And what started out as something fun and interesting ended up kind of isolating. And I didn't realize it at the time, but, um, but they were accelerating me during math class. I would be pulled out in kindergarten and put in first grade math. So when I was in first grade, they would pull me out and I would sit into second grade math. Now, is that because of your sister's performance, or you no, were actually was, the good yourself? I, I apparently, I was, yeah, apparently I had okay. some gifts with math, so that by the time I was in fifth grade, they would pull me out of class, and a retired professor from Georgetown University would come and see how far I could go, and I was graphing parabolas and being taught calculus when I was 10 in wow. fifth grade. 
which sounds fun and exciting, but it was done by myself, isolated in a classroom. At the same time, I really loved the mischievous kids, and I thought they were the smartest guys because they knew how to get up on the roof of the school. Oh, yeah. And they had older brothers that gave them things and taught them stuff. <laughs> so, so I didn't really fit in too much with the smart crowd because I really liked the mischievous crowd. But the mischievous crowd thought me as uh, as a smart kid. You're a nerd, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. And and at home, um, I didn't really have a, you know my sister was different than me, and my father is, is different culturally than me, and so he likes country music and NASCAR, and I got into punk rock and skateboarding, and so whether I was at school or at home, I didn't feel like I really had a a peer, and so that made me just feel different and eccentric, I guess. Interesting. Law, laws of unintended consequences. I'm thinking about your story about being pulled out of class, tutored by a professor, uh, and you know, the unintended consequences were you didn't feel good about your life. Yeah, it, it, it didn't really serve any purpose um, in the end because in, when I graduated out of elementary school, I was put back into algebra and I began to get bored and, and my grades suffered and I actually quit performing in school because it just wasn't interesting. Yeah, yeah. unintended consequences, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you dropped out of college after a year. You said you've been on life education ever since. If your life education was a college course, what would be the major? <laughs> if it had, if if my life education was a college course, I would say it's a dual major of uh, who am I and what should I be doing. Yeah. And um, and for me, so far, what I've learned is that. I'm someone who has been born with privilege and that I should be sharing it. And that's, that's so far what I've learned. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a wonderful lesson that's going to benefit um, you and wherever you happen to be in whatever community and culture you're part of. So, great. Um, you became a father at 23, and, and what you say is, was a difficult situation. You lost contact with your son. Uh, and that brought you to the major inflection point. Uh, tell, tell us about that experience where your life started to go downhill. Well, you know, it was, uh, it was an un, unplanned and, and under-supported um, pregnancy with someone that I, I wasn't in a very good active relationship with. Right. And I was uh, a young man. And at that point, all of my closest family members had moved out of the area. My, my mother had moved out west to Denver, father to Tennessee, my sister gone to uh, New York City, and my closest support network was young friends who were using drugs as coping mechanisms. And so um, it was a difficult early fatherhood because I wasn't really part allowed to be part of his life, I felt, in the way that was necessary to meet his needs. And I took it out on myself and, uh, and sort of fell apart into, uh, into heroin addiction. No, I didn't have good role models around me, male role models. So tell us a bit about that period of your life. You said you went through rehab several times, right? So you were, you were working, you were striving uh, to, to make some changes in your life. Um, Tell us a bit more about that, that time and how it was for you. Yeah. You know what, for me, while I always tried to make sure I worked, even though I was homeless and actively in addiction, I, I couldn't have obviously gone through those rehabs without the support of my, my parents and my mother, who was right. a really strong advocate. Um, uh, numerous times I promised I would help pay for the treatments and wouldn't. But it was really tough, and I was just actually um, blessed to be in an area that I knew. Um, that I'd grown up in Arlington, and as a taxi driver, you didn't need to own your car, the taxi company would allow you to drive the car and take them home. As long as you paid that first $100 rent for it, then the rest was yours. So 
that began to be my uh, shelter. And what was interesting, and, and I want to say this to anyone that, that knows someone that might be actively struggling with homelessness, one of the one of the most important points of contact for me during this time was a friend who knew what I was going through and had discovered different places that I would park my taxi cab to sleep. And occasionally he would just show up and knock on the door or the window and he would come and sit down and I'd turn on the music and we'd hang out like it was my living room on the sofa. <laughs> my friend would come visit me and, you know, it helped me feel like somebody cared and, and connected to me. But that was... That was really difficult, and um, even after f a couple of years of treatment, especially methadone in the end is what really helped, um, I went back to using even after I got clean, and that's when I threw up the red flag and said, or the white flag, and said, I need to get out of the city in the East Coast, and uh, both of my parents were supportive in, in getting me out, um, and I ended up in Nashville where I, I decided I, I had one friend left in California, and she said, there's this great place called Nevada City. Sounds like you're really ready for a new start, and I encourage you to come on out. So you got on the Greyhound bus and made the trek, huh? I did. She picked me up at the Sacramento um, Greyhound. That would have been in, I think, October 1998, and she handed me a wrap from the Briar Patch Food Co-op. I remember thinking, wrap. <laughs> you know, this is the most delicious food that I've. <laughs> it's natural and real, and it, yeah, it was. It was like a plant being uh, uprooted and transplanted to fertile ground. So was there any kind of culture shock coming to Nevada City? Um, did, you, did you miss uh, the urban area at, at all? You know, it's interesting. There's uh, yes and no. I, I, as a young child, my parents would take me to uh, their rural parents' home. My grandparents lived in rural Virginia. So in the summers, we got to experience rural life, and that was great, and I loved it. Um, what was initially a shock was the uh, going from a survival mode of being in the city where I'm feeling always at threat to suddenly a more gentle nature, a slow way of life. I remember going to cross Broad Street in downtown Nevada City and being uh, surprised when the cars stopped because uh, they were going to let me walk across the street. Fast, I thought, yeah. wow, you're not just going to floor it? And uh, what I do miss, uh, and it's changing here, is I miss the diversity from East Coast right. in the big city. Yeah. Well, I'm Keith Porter, and my guest today on The Sages Among Us is Martin Webb. Martin's a solar power entrepreneur. We'll get to that. He's a climate activist. He's a writer and radio host, as well as a longtime cannabis activist. And uh, so, Martin, we now, we've brought you as far as Nevada City, penniless, uh, looking for a new start here, uh, appreciating the fact that the cars would stop for you on Broad Street. <laughs> but, uh, and, and no one really knew you or your past, except I assume your one friend. Uh, you got a job answering phones for a solar company because you liked the Grateful Dead. How'd that happen, and uh, where did it lead? Well, you know, that was a life-changing thing, and, and it just shows, again, that the power that the Grateful Dead has on people's lives, uh, uh, saying half-jokingly. When I got here, my friend said, you know, if you're looking for work, you should go to the Briar Patch um, and look at their community bulletin board, and 650 an hour answering phones at Sierra Solar Systems. Um, which is that the owner was local legend Solar Johnny, Johnny Hill. He would do Dead Air here, longtime host on, on KVMR. And, and, and a postscript to that is that we actually bought a solar system, which we have today, which is on our house from Sierra Solar in 2005. So, oh, nice, yeah. from Solar Johnny. So, yeah. so he, when he um, was looking for somebody during the, the interview, casual interview process, he asked if I, you know, like the Grateful Dead, or I might have made a comment because I'd seen a Steal Your Face sticker or something. And, yeah. 
And after he hired me, he said that was the clinching decider. He said, well, once you said you'd been to the Grateful Dead shows and like them, then you were in. And what was really most important about that and how he treated me was that I, I had value and I had been living in a space where I didn't feel like I had value to my son or to life in general. And yeah. it was uh, it was really important. Yeah. So did he know anything about your background? Was he taking a risk, uh, do you think, um, to, to give you the position? I don't think he was taking a risk, but I don't think that I, I told him about, you know, hey, I was just a heroin user a few weeks ago and yeah, I'm starting right. from nothing because I, I really felt in my heart that I was no longer a risk at that point. Um, you know, there would have been times where I knew that, yeah, I would be hiding something if I didn't say what my past was. But at that point, I thought that it was more of a hindrance um, until I got on my feet. And that's when I began making sure that I, I share with anybody and everybody that homeless drug addiction, that those, those types of things can happen to anybody. That could be the next business owner you're staring at or a friend that, you know, actually needs help. It's all of us. Well, absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons your story is so compelling um, to um, to me and I'm sure to our audience. Um, three years with Sierra Solar, and then you, you actually started and built your own company, Planet Soldier, Sol, Solar, P-L-A-N-I-T, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So what was the secret to uh, making that work out? Well, you know, it was just happened to be good timing, um, and, and partially it was just knowing that there was a huge need. Uh, with Sierra Solar Systems, they had been focused for decades on the solar market at that point, which was off-grid. It was the hippies, it was the back-to-landers, retired right, people, right. Vietnam vets. And right when I started Planet Solar and moved to the area is when the laws changed and it favored grid-tied solar, where you don't need batteries. It's much cheaper to go solar because you shed that cost. So that was around 2000? Mm -hmm. 2001 yeah. is when I started Planet Solar. And okay. I, I focused on just the grid tide, doing it as good as, as well as I could and putting a lot of love into it. I had been trained, especially East Coast big city, that you need to step on people and squeeze things out of everyone. Treat your employees as cheaply as you can, your suppliers, customers. And I decided this was going to be a spiritual experiment. If I treat my employees well, the customers well, the suppliers, PG&E, the building department, if everyone loves it when they hear that we're who are on the phone, will that get results more than being bankrolled by a lot of money? And it worked. So did you end up competing with Sierra Solar, and how did that work out? I did, and it didn't work out favorably for our friendship initially because – um, because we began to be good competitors towards each other. And this is, you know, I love Johnny, and we, we're on good terms now when we see each other. And, and what I told him, I remember at the time, was because he's a big sports fan, is think of it like a head coach that's a championship head coach that wins all the championships for decades. And then he has an assistant that finally has an opportunity to go coach somewhere, and he's over there killing it and winning. That head coach should feel proud. That's my guy and my student. And so Great perspective. I, I wanted him to feel honored that, hey, I, I'm doing this because of you and, and be proud of any success, even though we're now competitors. So it was a, a healthy rivalry. And the irony is 10 years later, someone bought both of our companies and merged them together. And <laughs> we worked together again at the very end of both of our careers. So. All right. Yeah, well, 
<laughs> Small <laughs> town. Yeah, yeah, fascinating, fascinating nuances. All sorts of stuff to talk about, but we've got a limited amount of time. Yep, so yep. Uh, let me switch the subject a little bit. Along the way, uh, th- uh, after your uh, heavy drug uh, addiction, you found cannabis was helpful in your recovery from heroin, and you became a medical cannabis activist. But what did you learn about cannabis and your concern about transferring your addiction from heroin to another substance? Yeah, I found that it was something that helped both my physical and mental health. I I was suffering from anxiety, depression, migraines, um, and I had avoided all drug use for quite some time. But when I moved out here and I realized it was an environment that embraced responsible use and medical purposes, I was very worried that, yeah, am I just switching to a different drug? So I researched it, discovered that it can be quite safe, quite effective, um, and similar to many other medicines, but in some cases um, more efficacious, more superior, but you have to use it responsibly. And it's just like most tools, you know, a spoon could feed somebody or could put your eye out. And so it taught me how to approach um, a healing substance in in a balanced way instead of an, an overindulgent way. And so where did that lead you in terms of your work? Uh, you, you worked with county officials, I think, for some time on the process of preparing for legalization of growing uh, cannabis, right? Yeah, because I had delved so deeply into the topic um, and began to be so knowledgeable, I worked with people at the AIDS Foundation to help their patients, and word grew to where the district attorney, the sheriff's office, knew that I could be someone trusted with good, honest information, that I'm not uh, someone that's a grower looking to make a buck or looking to sling mud, that I really wanted the community to figure out a way to harness the power of this substance for greater good instead of a drain and uh, divisiveness in the community. And so it just sort of, because it's a small rural town, that's why I love being here instead of in the big city, is someone like me, just self-educated on the subject, and trusted and respected by local officials got a seat at the table because we needed help in our community discussion. Great. Well, well back to the solar business for just a second. Um, it, it tell us about the role, and your, from your perspective, the role of solar energy in uh, combating the climate crisis. And um, you know how how is solar doing in our community and and across the state and across the world, for that matter? Well, it, it's a fantastic technology, and it's finally um, being embraced at the speed and the scale that that we always knew it could. Um, obviously, cost was an issue. But it is an amazing technology because it's very well distributed. And wherever the sun shines, you can put a solar panel. Um, And this makes it also easy to move around, to take with you. And silicon is the second most abundant element on the planet after oxygen. So it's very abundant. And I, I would tell people, I feel like, you know, when I'm selling parachutes on an airplane that's going down and I don't know why people are <laughs> lining up. And it's usually yeah. because people think, well, the parachutes will be cheaper right before we crash. Well, yeah, <laughs> but you need them now. So. Yeah, exactly. But nice to be the first one off the plane in that case. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad you asked about the community, though, because we are a hub and a center for the solar industry. And we have experts with decades of experience. And it's been very challenging because it's a low margin industry. And there are a lot of um, fly-by-night companies, out-of-town companies, big companies, folks coming from other industries. So I'm always a big supporter of staying with local. There are four or five amazing local companies that will do a better job than anybody. And you'll see them in line at the grocery store and they'll take care of you. And it's, it's, a tough industry. They're doing good work on thin margins. 
What is the um, what is the, uh, the climatic, uh, or I should say, the environmental impact of production of uh, of solar panels themselves? Is is that uh, is, is it create a lot of waste? It's a generally speaking. There's two ways to look at it. It's a net positive as far as energy. They actually produce far more energy right. to uh, than it takes to make them. So most solar panels, within one to three years of being out in the sun, they have recouped what it's taken to make them. Then when it comes to the waste stream, it depends on what continent you live on. In Europe, 90% of solar panels are recycled. In the United States, it's the opposite, 10%. And a longtime local godfather of the solar industry, Sam Vanderhoof, he's been focusing on setting up a recycling facility in Reno in order to peel apart all the different parts and pieces. But it's a good question because depending on what technology you buy, some are more toxic and damaging than others. Well, my solar panels are now, let's see, 17 years old. Uh, are, are the, is there a lifespan? Are they going to go out of uh, whack one of these days? Oh, you know, good good one, because the, the thing about solar panels is they have a very small degradation rate. So the lifespan is unknown. There are solar panels that are still you know, producing that were made in the 50s when the first ones were introduced. So generally speaking, you'll get 40, 50 years of usable life, and then they'll still taper. And there are a couple of great local people in the industry that have started a nonprofit called Good Sun that specializes in taking old systems that still have life in them and repurposing them for schools, um, homeless shelters, and you can get tax breaks and tax deductions as a donation. So our local community is very mature on this. We both are the people that are looking on recycling facilities or how can we keep them repurposed in the community. So, Super. yeah. yeah. I'm Keith Porter on the Sages Among Us this evening. My guest is Martin Webb. He's a solar power entrepreneur, climate activist, writer and radio host, and a longtime cannabis activist. So, Martin, I'd like to come back a little bit to some personal questions for a moment, just so we get a better feeling for you, the, the human being. Um, what are the personal rewards for you from your work in our community that make it all worthwhile? For me, I mean, some of the some of the clear personal rewards are it actually gives me a sense of hope and positivity and connection. As someone that has suffered with depression, anxiety, um, I ha find that it's easy to um, turn into a hermit and a recluse if I'm not careful in a rural area such as this. And being active and being involved in the community allows me to feel connection. Um, and it really, um, for me, it, it, I get inspired by other people. And then I also help inspire other people by setting an example. And I'm aware that that's how we need the change um, that's, that's needed in the world today is just connection with people. Is there an accomplishment or, or a role in your life that you're especially pleased with or proud of? You'd say this is a, really tops your list? You know, it's, it's tough, but there is one, one moment that really encapsulates all of the different parts of my life that I've been trying to work towards, especially here in the community, and that is uh, helping to put a free donated solar system on hospitality house, the local homeless shelter. All right. Because that helps the homeless shelter. It helps the people that might be struggling with drug addiction. It helps get solar out, but it was also a donation. And it's from panels that otherwise wouldn't have been sellable, fresh and brand new. Because again, my friends here in the community, they have connections to the manufacturers who sometimes have scratched frames on the panels. We can't sell them. Will you do something with them? So 
I was involved on that project, and there's nothing like donating free solar to a homeless shelter yeah. helping addicts. That covers all my bases almost right there. <laughs> and I got to play, my band got to play as a headliner at um, in the big night of giving fundraiser for them, too. So let's roll it all together there. Well, any of us that drive by on uh, Highway 2049 past Hospitality House can look down and see that accomplishment right there before our very eyes, gl- mm-hmm. uh, glinting in the sun. So yep. congratulations for that. It's great. Yeah. Well, so let me ask the converse question. Anything you'd care to share about your life that in retrospect you'd do differently if you could do do it all over again? You know, knowing that that might be a question, that was a hard one. I I at first went through all of the possible regrets and found none, and and it was a very cool exercise to feel like, you know what, except – not to be too 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 personal or too transparent or vulnerable, I, I wish that I hadn't had unprotected sex at 19 with a young woman that was leaving the continent to Europe. And that put us in a situation as young adults that um, we chose to terminate the pregnancy. Oh. And I know that that was very hard for everybody involved. Um, and uh, it was not necessary had I chose to have been a more responsible young man. Well, thank you for sharing that uh, very poignant personal example. Yeah, it's, it's it. men be responsible and uh, and just be aware of that there are a lot of actions, um, even though you might be caught up in passion of the moment. Okay, well, you've got many other community involvements we haven't even touched on, uh, but uh, you've been, you're a longtime radio host here on KVMR. You create podcasts, you play music, you write books, you volunteer in a variety of settings. Uh, let's touch on a couple of those things in terms of, you know, why is it fun for you and how does it contribute to the community? Well, yeah, you know, what's interesting is because I have a very active mind that, that, that wants to help, um, I'm grateful and it, that there are so many different opportunities and ways that I've been able to stop and focus on helping the anti-drug part of the community, recovery part of the community. Um, and I feel like, again, it's really a two-way street as we know, and research continues to show this, that when you help people, you really help yourself too. And um, it's so empowering to, to everybody. And for me, one of the first things, I, one of the lessons I learned when I first moved here I remember telling myself this was um, the only reason you need to be generous is because you can be. And I was dealing with someone who is rationalizing how they couldn't be generous. And oh, this, that, and the other, this might happen. And I remember telling myself, you know what, if I ever have the ability to be generous, I will be. That's the only reason I need to, um, whatever it is with time, money, or, or you know, solutions. So. Uh, great perspective. So um, what would you change about our community if you had the magic ability to just kind of wave your hand and, and change something? What, what would make our community better in your view? Mm, ah, that, you know, if there was a way that we could engage each other more, um, if we had a public square, for example, if this was a town that had a big public square so that we could see each other and be less threatened by each other, uh, that's something that I'd really like to see happen. I, I've, I've broached local social activist Jamal Walker with the idea of having a, a unity march or a unity walk that it's different instead of just being one-sided, that you have to come walk with somebody that's different than you and listen to them and they listen to you. And, and that's what I really would like to wave a magic wand because we've, we've retreated into our screens and our corners and no one's going to come save Nevada County but ourselves. Yeah. And uh, that's what I want to see is more, more connection. 
So what's ahead for you? What, what, what's your future look like? I'm working on publishing a book, uh, 365 day, uh, sort of one day, one page for every day of the year on personal climate action inspiration. So that you wake up and it's, uh, you know, May 11th and you know, read a little something that's inspiring you to, to make a change. And most of it is changing the technology between our two ears. Um, that's what really needs the biggest upgrade. And so mm-hmm. I'm shopping around for a publisher and hoping that that will lead to a shift in a writing career. But otherwise, I'm, I'm in a new band. Uh, I'm still doing solar yeah, you play, consulting. You play Grateful Dead covers? No, actually, we uh, we practiced a Santana cover, though. So, All right. You know, kind of dead adjacent. But, uh, but yeah, I'm really just enjoying uh, where I'm at in my life and the community, and I get scared occasionally that things are uh, being delivered to me, and this is what I wanted. And, and as my mother has always said, you know, I tend to sabotage myself, and uh, I just want to make sure that I use my privilege for the best uses out there. So Absolutely. Well, that's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful perspective on life. Well, I'm Keith Porter on The Sages Among Us, and this evening my guest has been Martin Webb. And as you've heard, I hope, he's a solar power entrepreneur, climate activist, writer, radio host, longtime cannabis activist, and a mentor for a number of people and a volunteer in a number of situations in our community. So, Martin, thank you for joining us on The Sages Among Us. Thank you for your contribution to the community. And uh, we really appreciate uh, the chance to get a little better acquainted. Thanks for having me, Keith. Appreciate everything you do. Absolutely.